Okay, let's have a go. What do you say? Fold your hands, close your eyes, let's pray. Let's have some fun. Here we go. O blessed Holy Trinity, in mercy we commit this day to you, body and soul, with all our ways and undertakings, that all we say and do and think may praise and magnify your holy name. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. All right, good to see you. Thanks for coming back. Uh, it, doesn't, it always seems like we're going to spend a lot of time on something, then it goes away so quickly. So uh, we'll try to do as much as we can about baptism and then, then on to the next thing uh, next week. So we'll be here next week, the 20th. <clears throat> Pastor Kendall will pinch it for me. And then uh, we're off the 27th, which would be Thanksgiving. And then we'll come back for a couple of weeks, although I know the closer it gets to Christmas, the harder it is for everybody to show up. So that's good. Uh, you have a catechism. Uh, or there are catechisms around. Uh, if you need one, take one and uh, just take it. Same with the Bible. If you need a Bible, just take them. Uh, we encourage stealing holy things, so you should take those. That would be good. Uh, there's a little chapter from a book, uh, Luther's in One and One, which is I wrote years ago that you can, if you sort of want the whole scheme of where things are going, that's where they're going. But the trick is, we're trying to pull you into a particular kind of life. So, this is a really fabulous place. It's filled with wonderful people. And yet, uh, you should know off the bat, I'm going to fail you. And I suspect you'll fail me. And if we expect that, then confession and absolution makes more sense in remembering that other people are baptized and that they have the body and blood of Christ inside them. So we're trying to have a thing that's otherworldly, that's different from the rest of the world, and that all starts with baptism. So any questions? You've been so shy so far, but we know each other well enough that if you've got something, it'll be more fun if you ask me. Otherwise, I'll ask questions, and you know how badly that can go. So questions about anything? All right, midterm exam. Here we go. Why is the font at the door? Why is it at the door? Do you remember? For extra credit, you can also be, explain that, well, actually this, although this church kind of works, but uh, explain the shape of the church to me. Why is the font at the door? You remember? Please? That's where you enter. That's where you, that's where you entered. So last week we talked about the road to Emmaus, and then my, you know, secret tip for going to church any place in Europe that's normally not open. Last time I was in, outside the, uh, the Duomo, uh, there's this beautiful baptistry, which you have to stand in line hours to go. I walk by, and they're having mass inside. And I thought, ah, it never occurred to me that they have a mass inside the, inside, uh, the baptistry. So, um, you know, in the older days, sometimes you would have uh, a small, and you can even see this when you drive by churches. Sometimes Catholic churches still have this. You have a smaller baptistry room with a font, frescoes, crucifixes. Uh, where you have a liturgy, usually great acoustics, and you go through that room into the church itself. In the same way, you go through the font into your life in Christ, or you go through the font on the road to Emmaus, or through the font into the congregation. So, um, there we go. Now, we've had a baptism or two in the last few weeks. Everybody's catching up after COVID, but how come we don't dunk them? Any of you get dunked? Ramsey, I have a whole new respect for you. 
Say it again. Well, that's, that's, see, there's another nice thing to say about the Baptist. Now, Luther was a dunking kind of guy, right? If, if, people, if, if people had, and Pastor Nelson, if you're getting baptized here and you want to be dunked, Nelson is your guy. He's got Speedos and Flippies and little <laughs> goggles in his office. The rest of us never go there because it makes such a whoosh and gets your shoes all wet. But he's the sort of guy who's willing to, you know. So if you want a full blast dunk, that's Nelson is your man. Now, uh, sometimes people say, well, you know, um, if you didn't get dunked, you didn't get it. But the, the, you know, that presses the text a little bit. In, in the New Testament in Greek, baptizo is the word from which we get baptized. It's easy, right? So to baptizo something is to, of course, it can be to dunk it, but it can also be just to wash it up or even to you know, wipe it down or sprinkle it. So Jesus once says, you know, he says, you come back from the marketplace and you, you baptizo everything, you even baptizo your tables. Well, here's the thing. They didn't take their tables out and dunk them anywhere and pull them back out. No, they got them wet. They washed them up. So uh, you can, as so long as you get a baptism with the name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and water, then you've got yourself a baptism. Uh, and baptism means to get water on it, to wash it up. So we talked about that where Jesus moves you from one place to another in Romans 6. Now, Rumsey, though, is, a, is now officially suspect in the class. So the question is now, the question is, should we do it again? Or I suppose another question is, can you trust the Baptists? Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting question in itself. So I have jokes here, but I'm not going to tell them because the Holy Spirit's at work in me. So um, now, Rumsey, we would, how would we tell or not? So what about, and occasionally we get very nice people who, who, you know, they get baptized here as a child and then they wander off and get lost in the wilderness and they say, I'm getting rebaptized or baptized again. What do you think of that? Because Rumsey, I mean, look at him. Did the first one take? Well, see, this is other people have talked to me about this. I mean, I didn't want to bring it up in front of everybody, but okay. So what, now, now what? You know, so what about being rebaptized? Because, you know, you weren't in on it the first time. You were a little kid, and, um, you know, nobody asked you, and you didn't exercise your free will, and you didn't show your commitment to Jesus. So how old were you when you got baptized? Nineteen. Ooh, we're going to have to explore those early years someday, but this is only an hour long, so let's, we'll, we'll go for a different day, okay? But what do, you, what do you think about baptizing Rumsey again, just to give him the Lutheran touch? Because the font is at the door, and it's very nice, right? What do you think? How would we know? <laughs> one baptism, one time, right? So part of this is we have to clean up our language a little bit. Um, there isn't anything, social, no such thing as a, so here I'm going to cure you of a bunch of ills all at once in the next 30 seconds. There's no baptism and rebaptism. There's no um, valid sacrament and invalid sacrament. Uh, it just is a sacrament or not. It's a baptism or not. You didn't or you didn't. You did or you didn't. So if it was done to you, did they use water? Did you go all the way under? Did they say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? As much as I could hear of it, I was did anybody else see it? Uh, yeah, quite a few people. Did you come up sputtering? I did. Oh, that was the Holy Spirit at work. I, I think we gave you a pass and move on. What do you say? No problem. Now, the only problem with that, thinking about it that way is, did anything really happen to you? So sometimes people will say, here's another ill I want to cure you of. They'll talk about baptism as a symbol, right? 
Uh, and people are going to do that again when we get to the Lord's Supper. And you should know, full disclosure, these are two of the places we kick people out. Baptism and Eucharist, just letting you know, okay? So, no swearing. We did do designated swearers last week. Where are they? Who are my designated swearers? Were you one? Hell, damn, damn hell, in case I need it, okay? Hell, no, you can't say hell, you're the damn. She's the hell. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. I guess it's me. It always sounds to me like everybody's swearing at me, but that's maybe my issue. Okay, so, um, if you have a Bible, uh, 1 Peter 3, holy cow, somebody has folded over the page for 1 Peter 3 in this Bible. This is a sign from God. Um... Now, we, got to, we should just read a little bit. First uh, Peter 3. Go to around verse 20. There's a lot cooking here. Um, Jesus dying on the cross in verse 18. And then descending into hell, verse 19. We don't have enough time for either of those today. And then verse 20. Um, they didn't obey. So this is page 1296 if you're in the company issue Bible, right? Um, When God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Now all your spidey senses should be tingling there because there are eight people in the ark. You remember, we talked about this, but... Eight is this, anytime you see eights, you should be excited because good things are happening. So, go back and count in Genesis. The Lord speaks eight times when he creates the world. There are eight people, in, eight, eight persons in Noah's Ark. Baby boys are circumcised on the eighth day to become full sons of Israel. Jesus rises on the eighth day, John's Gospel, and you're baptized on the eighth day. Whenever there's an eight, that's um, redemption, completion, eternity, holiness, forgiveness, life. And so there were eight persons in Noah's Ark. Okay, now just, here you go. This is extraordinarily easy and important. Baptism corresponds to this. Baptism now saves you, right? Or somebody, does anybody have, not this company issue Bible, does anybody have, it's a symbol in there, does anybody have that? Baptism is a symbol of this. It's one way it's sometimes translated. Here's, this is super important. Noah's Ark is a symbol of baptism. Baptism is not a symbol of Noah's Ark. Everybody gets this backwards, right? So, here, we should do it this way. It's intuitive. Tell me your favorite water stories. Water stories in the scripture. Water stories. Can you think of one? Yeah, water into wine. Of course, someone's going to say that. Yeah, water into wine. His favorite water story. Got it. Okay, but what are your favorite water stories? Noah in the ark we did. What other water stories? Jonah in the whale, for goodness sakes. What else? Jesus walking on the water and? Israel across the Jordan. And? Not just across the Jordan, but before that? Through the Red Sea. Right? Water story after water story after water story. Here's the, here's the single story. One way that God likes to save you, connect with you, love you, is with water. The Holy Spirit is hovering over the waters, and then the world is created. The Holy Spirit is hovering over baptism, and then you are recreated. 
there's two things at least going on here. One is, whenever you see water going on, you should perk up. Right? Because when water's involved, the Lord is doing something fabulous. He's doing something fabulous to you. So whenever there's water, you should say, hey, there's likely something good going on here. And the deeper thing is, and this is the hardest thing for people, and this is why, you know, this is your break point in being a Christian. Really, it is. How God saves you. God saves you through stuff. Baptism now saves you. Baptism saves you as a washing for forgiveness of sins. But baptism, that is water in the name, saves you. It's not a symbol of you being saved. It's not a reenactment of you being saved. Actually, the simple notion of taking water and putting it on you, touching it to you, that saves you, right? There are other ways you're going to be safe too. Like when he takes his body tomorrow and he says, this is my body for the forgiveness of your sins. And he touches you with it, right? It is the touch of that body and blood that saves you. In the same way, when somebody says, Jesus loves you, or come home, or you're forgiven, he's touching you on the ear with sound waves. In fact, in the good old days, when things really mattered, when you had a victim for baptism... He's a good sport, but he's also an attorney. So check the liability, and here we go. In the good old days, when you really went, ah, yeah. Have you seen the end of The Godfather? Did I ask you this? The end of The Godfather, number one. Have you seen it? When he becomes The Godfather and The Godfather, you should Google it up and watch it, except for the shooting parts. But, you know, life is life, this thing of ours, this thing you're coming into. Okay, so here's the thing. Right? What did Luther say? When Luther did a baptism, this is early, early, real Luther, Luther, as opposed to sanitized Luther, what would they do? You'd bring the little baby, and what would he do? He would spit on his fingers, Oliver, left. He'd spit on his fingers and then reach in and grab the child's tongue and put his spit on the child's tongue. This is pre-COVID. And then... Uh, you know, he would, so he would spit on the child. This is the Taufuk line, or Luther's, or he'd spit on his fingers, and then, then he would, um, you know, take salt and put it under the child's tongue. And then they would put oil on the child's head, and they would take spit and rub it in its ears, right? And then they would lift up the eyelid and blow underneath. Right? Why all that stuff? Well, because, you know, it's all in the Bible, Jesus takes the man who can't speak and can't hear, and he spits, and he puts it on the man's tongue and ears. Now the man can hear, and now he can speak. So we have this little baby. I don't know if you realize this. David was baptized last week. Now, we didn't tell him this before going in, but do you, you probably don't even remember because it was, but all these things were happening. So the very first thing we said to him was, depart, you unclean spirit, and make room for the Holy Spirit. That's an exorcism. You didn't know. We didn't tell you. We love you. You know, sometimes people get freaked out by that. So, you know, what you, the very first thing that happens in baptism is an exorcism. Watch, watch the next one that comes. The very, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? And the very first action is, depart you unclean spirit and make room for the Holy Spirit in the name of the Father. Basically what we're saying is, you're full of demons, but we'd like them to go away. And we're going to fill you with the Holy Spirit. That'll be fabulous so that, you know, they don't have this story where the demons come back and it's worse than it was before. 
So what, what happens, right? If we were giving you the full blast baptism, if you were going to a real church, we would spit on you, we would oil you, we would blow you, and we'd hold you under until you sputtered. No, but you settled for St. John, and now we're committed. So, okay, that's the way it is. But you see how all these things work. Uh, blowing under the eyelids, by the way, to cough at the time of, time of Jesus, to cough or to blow on a bust of Caesar was a capital offense. You could be executed for that. It would be like spitting in Caesar's face, right? So if you, if you spit in the president's face, that's not going to go well for you. So what are you doing? You're saying to the demons inside, go away. What demons want most is your respect. And when you get all trembly and afraid, that's what the demon wants, of course. And so usually exorcisms are kind of filled with insults for the demons. And not back and forth because they're smarter than you are, but disrespect, right? So pride is the only virtue that Satan can't imitate. You can have fake love, right? You can have fake honesty, but you can't have fake pride. Pride is the one virtue Satan can't imitate. So when you come to baptism, we give you the full blast treatment. Depart you unclean spirit, make room for the Holy Spirit. If we were brave enough and had enough insurance, we would also spit and oil and blow and submerge. But we live in a litigious society. So there you go, all right? So you come to the font, and if you want, we will do all of that to you. But just to make sure you know what's going on, you should watch the last part. Just pull up, Google up, YouTube up the baptism scene at the end of Godfather 1. It's this beautiful thing where the priest, and it's so interesting because the priest, there's a bishop and a cardinal, and there's mobsters all around, and the priest proceeds in Latin as if nothing else in the world matters. It's the most beautiful scene. He just is like, I'm a priest, and this is what I do. Right? And there should be all this external pressure around him. And it's just like, it's a young guy. And he's just going, boom, boom, boom. Which is why we have a liturgy, of course. This is why we have a liturgy. Because we don't make it up as we go along. This has worked for 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years. It'll work with you too, right? It's all going to be okay. So then if somebody says to you, um, who baptized you? What's your answer? Do you remember who baptized you? Yes. Give me the right answer. Please help her if she needs help. Just Pastor Post. <laughs> Pastor Post would be the secondary answer. In Latin, they would say instrumentum secundum. That's Pastor Post. But, and, but if you wanted to even reach higher than Pastor Post, if somebody says to you, who baptized you, you would say, Jesus. Yeah, if, any, if anybody says, who baptized you, you should say, Jesus. Now you see, Jesus, in the same way that when you come to the Holy Supper <coughs> tomorrow, who gave you the Holy Supper? Jesus. It's the same as any children's sermon, right? You've seen children's sermons? This is why we don't do them. They're too easy. Because the pastor in a bag brings an orange or a rock or a wrench, and then he tells a story that nobody can understand because it calls for analogical or symbolic thinking, which kids don't do yet. And then, but at the end, it all comes back around because he says, and the wrench is? Jesus! Yes! All right, praise Jesus. Let's sing the first hymn. So that's, you know, every children's sermon has the same answer, Jesus, which is a good answer for you too. Although, my advice, just skip the children's sermon and go right to Jesus. So who baptized you? Jesus baptized you. Who gives you the body and blood? St. John Chrysostom. When the priest extends his hand with the host, 
It is not the priest who extends his hand, but Jesus himself. So it's not a symbol. It's really happening. The touch is alive. And it's not me. It's Jesus in the stead by the command. We'll talk about that coming up, right? In the stead by the command, which, you know, called, ordained. Those are all ways of saying, it's not me. Vestments, that's a way of saying, it's not me, the stole. It's not me. So who baptized you? Jesus. Who communes you? Jesus. Who forgives you? Jesus. What's the wrench? Jesus, right? It's all the same. Jesus does to you now on your deathbed, right? Or when you're utterly depressed, or when you've despaired about your children, or perhaps about yourself. The answer is Jesus, right? Why are you saved? Jesus touched me. Why are you um, consoled? Jesus loves me. Jesus, 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 Jesus. It's extraordinarily important. How are you doing so far? Are you good? Next thing, question? Yes, please. Because it's fun. <laughs> so at the vigil, you know, so I know where your, where your first church had, you know, had incense. We're also your first church that does holy water. But don't worry, it's fun. You know what's great fun? There's always somebody who's not looking. So you're like doing this, and then suddenly you're like, Shuss them in the roof, it's leaking. Get the Monday guys out to fix it. No, it's because we say it while we're doing it, which is, hey, how did you get saved? When water got on you. And then in Luther's prayer that we pray at a baptism, it says, all water, it says, this is what the prayer actually says from Luther, all water has now become a reminder of my baptism. So when you shower in the morning, you should go, this is fabulous, I'm baptized. When you're sitting in a swimming pool, you should say, this is great, I'm baptized, right? When it rains really hard today, you should say, fabulous, Jesus loves me, he baptized me, right? All wa- so every once in a while, wherever you can get, it's the same reason people touch the water. And the other is, I'm afraid of always giving you too much stuff, but I almost got you these, I almost brought you down another margin comment, but I already get 10 that I'm not even going to get to. So, but there is famous stories in the early church, um, two of them really interesting. We run them as margin comments once in a while. Where, So this guy, Christian, his early church comes to the baths in a small uh, town. Now, here's the thing. You know, water is scarce in the Middle East, and the baths are public and necessary, and not just... Um, places where you wash, but there are places where you relax, places where everything is well. You know, when, when you travel around, you see where the Romans came. The first thing the Romans did was try to settle by hot springs and then build baths, even with heated floors, and you know, so the smoke would go underneath and everything would be fabulous. Anyway, this guy comes to a little town, and the, they say, you know, I'd like to go in the baths, and the guy says, sorry, they close at dusk because um, it's filled with demons in the nighttime. And the guy says, no worries. And then they say something that translates roughly to, okay, your funeral, they open the door, they let him in, they shut it, and then they stand outside the door. And they, it says, it sounds like there was a war going on. Chariots and horses and wild animals and screams. And the guy you know, bends down and looks through the keyhole, and he sees the guy in the water just simply do this, and then relax back into it as all the chaos of life goes on around him. Right? Luther. In the morning, when you wake up, make the sign of the Holy Cross and say, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? 
then say the creed, say the commandments, say some prayers, and go about your business, right? Because to do this repels, annoys, irritates, tortures everything that is demonic. That's the same for having the holy body and blood inside you. That's the same for having the holy name on you. That's the same as having the holy words of Jesus ringing in your ears. These things are like insect repellent for what's demonic. You know what? You may think this is not true. This is the truest thing. And I could tell you all kinds of stories. But I actually... So many things to tell you. Kendall and I once together, before we worked together, did a house blessing because all kinds of funky stuff was happening in this house. And it's one of the two or three times where everything is going wrong in the house. You know, people are seeing it. We'll talk more about this later. But at the Verba, the dogs are howling and everything goes quiet. This has happened to me a couple of times. I mean, you can say what you want, but these are the things that happen. And all I can tell you is you should make the sign of the cross every morning and at night before you go to bed. And you should do that in disdain for Satan, right? I belong to Christ. In the same way we put up incense because Jesus loves it and Satan hates it. In the same way we say things out loud because Satan can hear it, but he can't read your heart. You know, in the same way we pray aloud, sing aloud, have beautiful things. Anyway, all these things come together. And you, it may seem to you that this is all scattered. It's only scattered because I'm excited about it. Look, it's so simple, right? It's so simple. We did it the first week, the Didache. There is a way of life, and there is a way of death. That's how simple life is. If you want to be on the way of life, you get baptized. Or more importantly, Jesus baptizes you. When Jesus baptizes you, he picks you up, dead as a doornail, and he moves you to a place of life everlasting. And he puts his name on you, and he puts his spirit in you, and he acts as your mediator for your heavenly Father, and he wraps you up with angels, and he protects you and loves you, And he gives you constant reminders of that, dipping your fingers in the font, smelling the incense, listening to the beautiful music, right? Putting you in a space that is in the shape of a cross or has eights all around it or has rock from Jerusalem where Jesus walked. Why? Because you need to be encouraged. And this isn't easy. And everybody needs to be on the same page. And everything we can do to make that happen, right, we should do. So, uh, anyway, these things matter. Questions? Because I got questions. You have questions? Because otherwise we'll do mine. They're going to be much more painful. No? Okay. So, um, let's see. Can you baptize your grandkids in the bathtub? That would be a good one to think about. Some of you are nodding yes already. There'll be confession after. So, um, uh, you know, this is always a great thing. Well, one is, you know, the easy question is, you know, can you baptize the next door neighbor kids? You know, they're little pagans, but the parents trust you because you're good Christians. When they come over, can you, you know, slip them in for a bath and a baptism before you put them to bed? Much more seriously is, I run into all kinds of grandparents whose kids have kind of gone off the rails, and then they have these darling grandchildren who haven't been baptized. And then they come to us and say, would you do that? Okay, what's my answer? You should be able to begin to work these things out now. 
because you know enough about baptism. You know who does it and what it is and what it does, how to do it. Um, what do you say? Should we do it? Should you do it? Yes, right. Could you is a different question. So, for example, well, Rumsey, you're, you know, you're playing along and brave this morning. You have a driver's license? You ever take an Uber? When you take an Uber, do you drive? Okay. You have a plane license? No. Well, so it's not exactly the same. Okay. Well, I just want to observe. <clears throat> There's all kinds of things you can do in some circumstances. For example... Today, go ahead and take your bath by yourself. I'm not going to be over. Okay? That's all. You know, just, you know what to do. Yeah, okay, good. Sometimes with water, I don't need to be around. But other times, yeah. So what, do you, what would be the considerations? You, the reason to think this through is because then you, we play you, be me, then you know how we think. You know what to expect, right? So, I mean, this, and this is frankly, you know, we're laughing about it, but this is a very hard thing. If you have children that you love who aren't baptized... Right? This is the sort of thing that keeps you awake night after night. So how would we parse this out? Right? Who does Jesus ask to do baptisms? When, yeah, when, he, when, when we did Matthew 28, Jesus calls the disciples near, and then he says to the disciples, to the apostles, hey, make disciples by baptizing and teaching. So he gives this to the apostles to do, and then the apostles, as they begin to die or be executed, right, 11 out of, or 10 out of 11, as they begin to be, they pass it on to the next guy. We talked a little bit about that, about Irenaeus belonging to St. John, or Titus and Timothy to Paul, right? So um, it's under normal circumstances. You bring your child to the church. You do that on the eighth day, or near as you can. It's done publicly because you're baptized into the community. And it's done by the pastor for the simple reason that Jesus asked him to do it. You can drive, but you don't drive the bus. You can drive, but you don't drive the Uber. You have a license, but you don't do it because nobody asked you to do it. Yes, authorized is a nice word. It's a gospelly word in, uh, in authorized in the gospel. So Jesus says all authority means somebody asked him to do it. The father asked him. Uh, the, 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 you know, Jesus asked your pastor to do that. So you wouldn't be sort of pushing the pastor out of the way. And so one of the hardest things we have is when people like a dad will say, well, I, I, I read about a house church in the scripture, so I baptized all my kids at home. I'm going like, huh. And of course, there are all several things that are going on there. So, um, of course, let me complicate it for you. Juliana, pick up that catechism right there in front of you, the small one. There you go. No, right there, good. Yeah. What's in the back cover? What's in the back cover? Right. Yeah, short form of baptism. Now what? Because I'm, first I'm telling you you can't do this, and now Juliana's the catechism says you can do this. Lutheranism is so messy. All right. So what would be, what would be when could you do it and when can't you do it? Right? What would be the... And you notice they put it there on the back cover so you'd be able to find it easily. When things are going crazy, um, you need to be able to... It's like a fire extinguisher. You've got to be able to find it, right? That you have a fire extinguisher is not that great. 
that you have a fire extinguisher and know where it is, that's great, right? Or as Luther says, it's not a big deal that God exists. The question isn't whether, is God there? The question is, is God there for you, right? So um, next week maybe, or the week after, we'll talk about fourth commandment a little bit, but here's how we figure it out. And you can argue with it if you want. We're just trying to do the best we can. Always start with easy things, clear things. If you have a child, you bring it to be baptized. The child is completely passive and receives the gifts. This is, I'll need this later when we come to tithing, but any of you have a trust fund? Because you know how this is, trust fund babies, right? When they're a year old, they're already millionaires. They don't know they're a millionaire. They can't use the million dollars that they've got. But they're already millionaires. Yonker has tons of clients like this where he set up offshore Cayman Trust for little babies. That's why he's often in handcuffs. So, okay, so anyway, um, you, you know, uh, if you're a trust fund baby, you have all the stuff already just waiting to be age-appropriately accessed. That's how it is when you get baptized. Is that little baby a millionaire? Absolutely. Right? Uh, does he know it? No, he doesn't know it. It's the same way your kid when you come to baptism. You're given all these gifts, forgiveness of sins, life, salvation, Holy Spirit. Boom, 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 boom. Do they know it? No. That doesn't have anything to do with it. It's just like um, Oliver 2? 3. When Oliver's 2. But you, when is Oliver's birthday? That was like, you'll notice that the mother said May 6th before I could even clarify my question. And the father hid behind the mask saying, let's see, I think it's... Anyway, so Oliver's first Christmas was, he was about, that would be like 5 and 12 and 7. And so he's 6, 7 months old his first Christmas, right? Did Oliver have a stocking? Did Oliver have lots of presents under the tree? And not just from you, but from your mother and your father. And on the other side, too, was Oliver the first grandchild? So Oliver, I think you would all agree, is a trust fund millionaire, right? (laughs) He had no idea what was happening to him, and yet he got the gifts. And he used them appropriately. They were his. Right? Baptism the same way. Right? So you bring the kid and you give him the gifts and then he grows into them. This is easy. How much easier could this be, right? Now, when we interrupt that sometimes, when you know, we don't get there in time or people put it off or, you know, that's heart-rending because that's like kind of setting your kid in the middle of the street and hoping no cars hit him. Kind of going like, I mean, a baptism is the most wonderful, productive, kind, generous thing you can give your kid. All of you, if you have kids or if you have grandkids, you would give them anything. You would. Except for the thing that's most important. People are sometimes like, they wig on it a little bit. All right, so don't wig on it. However, if you're a grandparent and you have kids, all we're looking for is to do what Jesus said. So you remember last week we did this. You make a disciple by baptizing and teaching. We will handle the first bit. The baptizing with the name. 
And if you can assure us, promise us, that the second bit will be done, because, you know, we can't give you half a Jesus. We can't give you half a baptism. And it's a disciple is made by baptizing and teaching, two things done together, not one. So people who show up and say, we want a baptism, but we'll never be here again, we're like, eh, we don't have any of that in stock, right? Supply chains are all messed up. We have only... Water and name and teaching. That's how, that's a, it's a package deal, right? So, if we get anybody to say, we'll handle the teaching. So if you have, kid, if you have grandkids who, for example, um, your kids are off the rails, they haven't baptized your kid, what you want to at least work them to is, can I take the child to have it baptized? Is it okay with you? And if we get either an hey, okay, or I don't care. As long as they don't get a hard no, the kid's in the water and the grandparents are responsible. Why? Because somebody's going to do the teaching. Right? All right. You still good? Questions about anything? You want to play? Some of you are St. Johnny's, so you've heard these things before, and I'm afraid that you'll cheat here. And you know what happens if you cheat on the exam, right? That would be a bad, bad thing to you. Um, yes, please. So, yeah, good. Emergency baptism is appropriate if you have an emergency. How's that? (laughs) So I'll give you you two answers to that. One is my Kirby's brother had some sort of blockage thing uh, when he was a couple days old, and they didn't realize it, and then suddenly he was dehydrated and just about to die. And so Kirby's mom baptized him in the sink which was the right thing to do. Or one of my earliest, I don't know why this stuff always happens when you're early, but I had, these stories are so interesting, Um, the things that happen to you. So I had an, in my first church I had an elder and he had a niece who got pregnant and the parents kicked her out and she was kicked out of her church and hey, will you take care of her and she's gonna have a baby and can we get the baby baptized? So these are all things, these aren't all startling things, but these are all things where you go like, okay, that's a curvy line and we'll have to negotiate this. Um, and then uh, she goes into premature birth and the cord is wrapped around the baby's neck and they're at the emergency room and it's the middle of the night, it's three in the morning and will you come? And so everything gets condensed into you know an hour, all these things you thought you were gonna work through over days and weeks and months and years. And, you know, it was a surreal experience. I can just, it's like I'm still there, you know. There were two people working on it. The room was dark, big bright light. They gave me some water. It was like one, two, three, go. They step back, the child is seizing. I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. I step back, they step in. And the child lived about 30, 35 days and then died. And then I preached a sermon, uh, and I still remember, Actually, the kid's name was Blaze. Blaze was a perfect little Christian, right? Because, of course, to be a perfect Christian is to be nothing but given to. I could have said Blaze is a trust fund millionaire, but they wouldn't have gotten it. So, uh, but you can say all the gifts given to any Christian were given to that child in that emergency room privately. Did that bend a lot of corners? Absolutely, but it was an emergency. So two things are, if you really have an emergency... Then go ahead. But this is going to go to another question, and I know that you know this, but this is really important. You've got to decide up front whether you think God's heart is filled with love or filled with wrath. 
You would think, being around Christians, it's filled with wrath. That's what you would think. Because you would think, and the devil plays to this, as does the world in our flesh, you would think that Jesus is always just looking for a place where you're going to screw up so he can get you. And of course, that's, that's one of the worst things that can happen. So, part of your question, um, part of your question, part of the answer to your question is, God's merciful. And if you do your best trying to figure out a baptism, and you do it, and it wasn't quite as bad as you thought, like, let's say, you know, you're watching TV and you can't find the remote and it clicks off and you've got an emergency, so you lean over and baptize your child, you'll have some things to answer for. But, you know, if a child is going to die or, you know, it's, then you should turn to the back page of your catechism and go to work. Right? Part of the answer for the concern, part of the answer for the concerned grandparent was that also that uh, baptism is, the, I guess you would say, the primary way, the most certain way for us to understand, for that person to understand that they are safe, but it's a way. Nice. So, yeah, let me, I'll try to summarize, but not, I'll try not to get it wrong. This is an important question because baptism, and you can talk about it as a primary way or the primary way of being initiated into the kingdom of God or joining the church or being saved. Is that fair? So there shouldn't be any wobble here, right? So this is why, you know, I just, a little kind of basic safety tip, you know, wedding at Cana. Do you remember what Mary says? Let's turn some water into wine. And then Jesus says, hey, not yet. And then Mary turns to the servants and says, what? Do whatever he tells you. The very last words of Mary in Scripture. It's only John chapter 2. It's the last time she speaks. She reappears a couple of times, like when the family thinks Jesus is crazy and at the foot of the cross. But Mary's very last words in Scripture are, do whatever he tells you. That is the secret to life. You should just do whatever he tells you. If you do whatever he tells you, and you can hear that as a merciful thing, like it'd be the equivalent of like, stop hitting your thumb with that hammer. Now for some of you, you're like, don't push me around. But for most of you, you would say, thank you very much, which is the response of faith. So if you presume that Jesus loves you, and you presume that his heart is merciful, and you presume that he wants best for you, Probably just do whatever he tells you is a really good idea. So when it comes to baptism, do whatever he tells you. If you have a baby, get it baptized. Don't hang around. Eight days in the west, 40 days in the east. You know, the Greeks, they've got to push everything. The Russians, ah, they're a little authoritarian. Come to the Lutherans, we'll, hit you. we'll get you in on the eighth day. You don't have to wait 40 days. I see this isn't selling with you. Okay, so nevertheless, um, go ahead and back, go back to loving your Orthodox friends. It's all fine. So... Uh, just do whatever Jesus tells you. Bring your child, have him baptized, have the pastor do it. Do it in the service, in the community. Let all your friends and family and even the strangers say, we love you and we'll support you and welcome. This is going to be great. And then if there are any steps away from that, a private baptism because it's COVID, right? Um, an emergency baptism in the hospital because the child is dying. An emergency baptism at home because the child is endangered. Um, okay, you know, there's the, the edges can fuzzy up a little bit as long as you're pulling toward mercy, pulling toward love, trying to do the best, as long as it's not prideful. 
But then beyond that, you know, you got baptized in the name of creator, redeemer, sustainer, so you change the words, or you get baptized with rose petals instead of water, or you, you know, just pick something. Whenever you don't do what Jesus tells you, and, I mean, my answer a lot of this is like, I don't know. Like, I don't know what's going on there. You do something, you, you know, if you change, I mean, I, my eighth grade Lutheran school that, you know, somebody decided it was a good idea to have a Lord's Supper with Fritos and Coca-Cola. Look, I'm in eighth grade. Even I knew that was stupid, okay? Because, you know, that's not where Jesus... Why would you do something other than what Jesus tells you to do, right? Do whatever he tells you, you're going to be fine. Questions? You still good? You be me. So I'm brand new in a parish. Um, I get a phone call. I pick it up. The woman's sobbing on the other edge. She said, will you do a, a funeral for my son? And um, this, of course, is always a very sobering moment um, for a range of reasons. So I said, you know, how did you find me? She said, well, long before you were ever there, we used to be, we used to be members and my son was baptized there. But he started hanging with the wrong crowd. Uh, he went to juvie court. The judge says, your choices are you can go to juvie detention or you can move to Florida where your father is because your mother's not getting it done. So he goes to Florida, and about a year later, they find him hanging in a swamp, right? And it seems like he'd been involved in some way in the drug trade. That's how he had gotten in trouble where he was with his mom. But now his mom was there to rescue him again. But he hadn't been in church forever. I didn't know him. Um, But she's weeping, and she says this beautiful thing. I said, tell me about your son. She said, he was a boy who loved his mother. So now you be me. So do we do the funeral? Now you should remember that if a pastor lies at a funeral, he'll lie to you about anything. Which, by the way, is why we don't do eulogies. Because if we do a eulogy, pretty soon you'll sound so good you don't need Jesus. That's not good. So, but you be me. Um, I'm new. And, you know, funerals are touch points. If you're in a small town, if you don't do funerals and weddings, you're making a statement. And precedent is set. And people presume about you. And yet, you don't belong to them. You're the Lord's man. So, what do you say? Do the funeral or don't do the funeral? What would be the pros and the cons? Who said that? Well, putting your card right on the table right away. Okay, good. What? Yeah, but he was a miscreant. He was a. You're a drug mule? Holy cow, did you know this, Nicole? (laughs) Nicely played, and a way to strike to the heart of the matter. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, thank you very much. You say what you can say about a person, right? I mean, um, the primary thing to say about him is that Jesus baptized him. Now, you shouldn't oversay, right? So you shouldn't say things you don't know. So for some of you, you know, when you die, you'll, I'll say, you know, um, well-baptized, well-bodied, well-blooded, and a well-lived life. Right? And that's, that's what we can say. Uh, for some people, we'll just say, well, you know, baptized, right? And then we're going to talk a lot about Jesus. We're going to talk about, you know, Jesus in the font, uh, fishes with a barbed hook. Right? 
It's very hard. You remember Irenaeus. Um, Jesus is the big fish, and we're like little fishies swimming behind him. You know, that's why everybody has a fish on their car in Wheaton. That's where it comes from, right? It's Irenaeus, right? It's Irenaeus. Yeah. And so, um, you know, Jesus is the big fish, and we're all little fishies swimming behind him, right? I mean, can you shake your baptism? You can shake it. If, I mean, you can shake it because the gospel is resistible. I mean, Jesus isn't going to force you to be saved. But you have to factor in everything. Jesus baptized him. Jesus loves him. Jesus' heart is mercy. Jesus is the father who runs to the prodigal son. Jesus is the one who takes flesh to seek us. Jesus dies for us to forgive us. Jesus comes back to us to reassure us, right? Jesus never gives up on us. So you have to, you know, you have to figure out, and this is just so you know kind of how we think and what we're going to do, but you have to, you have to say the whole picture because we're so titillated by, you know, things that seem to be tabloid worthy, you know, anything that has to do with drug, sex, and rock and roll, you know, we, you get, you know, immediately excommunication. But, uh, yeah, of course, you know, except that you didn't, I mean, Jesus used to be like, I mean, Jesus for a while there in the hidden gospels, you see, he was a deadhead. He was traveling all over the place, front row, like living in a van. <laughs> see, okay, I mean, you're a tough crowd. Okay, uh, never mind. <laughs> Jesus was with the people. Jesus is with the people, right? He loves the people. Not that Jesus, and this is a very careful thing. It's so interesting. Like Jesus, like he, you know, it's the weirdest thing. Jesus sits down next to a sinner, nothing implied, and um, has dinner, talks things over. Oh, you've had five husbands, and you're living with your six, but you didn't marry him. Oh, you're an interesting person, right? Jesus sits down next to sinners, and they barely notice he's the Son of God. And then. Suddenly, people go, come met a man who told me everything I ever did. Like suddenly, they're like, something is very different about this guy and attractive. Zacchaeus up the tree. What are you doing up there? You're short. Ah, there must be more to it than that. Uh, you're rich, and you steal from people, and they're going to kill you if you come down. I'm going to have dinner at your place tonight, right? Glorious story. And then he gives half of his goods to the poor and repays everybody three or four times what he stole from them. And Jesus says, salvation has come to this house today. You've got to put the whole bundle together, okay? And the answer is not going to be the same for every person. You know, this is always a hard thing in a church because people trade answers. Well, I went to him and, you know, um, you know, my son was in jail and this is what they did. And, you know, my son was in jail, but they didn't do that. You know, hey. You're all individuals, and you have remarkably individual ways of sinning. And yet, there's sort of broad, overarching things like, Wilman goes right to the, right now, right to the juggler, right? And Jesus loves him and put his name on him. That's pretty unshakable, right? So um, you should be able to guess after a while what it is that we would say. Not because it's so clever, but because there are these basic things. This is very. There's one story in Scripture. Jesus wants all his children home again. To do that, Jesus takes stuff, takes flesh. Then he comes and he touches people with his flesh, with his name. 
right, with his words. And when the touch takes, people are saved, not just someday, but right now, and they're completely different persons. That's what we're going for. And that's what, uh, you know, we're trying to get, um, that's where we're trying to get you to get to as well. Um, let's see, just questions about anything else? All right, I should, you know, because I have to fulfill all righteousness and Kendall's here and he might be reporting back to higher authorities. Grab, grab a, grab a catechism. It's on tape too. Keep the tape rolling here. Grab a catechism. Turn to page 32. Now, with any luck at all, we've done all this stuff. Oh, wait, no, it's not 30. That's table of duties. I don't want to give you stuff to do already. Hold on. 23. I'm dyslexic. Okay, so uh, now you'll notice that this, is, uh, this isn't the way it's written. So this isn't the first thing that's in the catechism, but it's the first thing that's in the liturgy, and this is experiential for you. We're trying to explain to you why you, everything we've done over the last three weeks is all just in the first line. We're only one line into the liturgy, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's all the farther we are, right? But everything we've talked about is always contained in that. So if you go to church, and they don't make the sign of the cross and say, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I mean, you know, that doesn't mean they're going straight to hell, but you're paying full bust-out retail, and you're getting, you know, you know, it's not really a Louis Vuitton bag. I'm just saying to you, okay? So, all right, here we go. We should be, um, hey, you're supposed to teach this, right? What's baptism? Baptism isn't just plain water, but water included in God's command combined with God's word. That's a fancy way of saying, what is baptism? Water plus the name. It's like baking a cake. Hey, where did that happen? Matthew 28, and we did that last week. You make disciples by baptizing and teaching. So what happens? What benefits does it give? Forgives your sins, right? Rescues you from sin, death, and the devil. That's what happens when you don't have any sins. There's no rub between you and God, and there's no reason for you to, you know, be with the devil. You get forgiven. That says you're holy. You're, you're declared holy, made holy, right? So it forgives your sins, rescues you from death and the devil, gives you eternal salvation, just like God promises. Now... Simple, simple. Faith agrees. Unfaith disagrees. To have faith is just to agree. So Jesus says, um, I love you. And you say, you love me. And Jesus says, I baptized you. And you say, you baptized me. You see, this is the same that Mary said. Do whatever he tells you. Agree with him. Faith agrees in a word. In a word, the gospel is touch. In a word... Faith agrees. It's not that hard. Where did you learn that? Bottom of 23, the last chapter of Matthew. If you believe in and baptize, you'll get saved. Whoever doesn't believe will be condemned, right? And so you hear that in the big flood prayer from Luther where, hey, you're putting, it's like you're putting this kid aboard Noah's Ark. You're separating him from all those who disagree. How can water do such things, Right? How can water do such great things? Come on, it's not the water. It's not like being squirted with a garden hose. But it's the word of God in and with the water that does these things and faith. And so um, all those things happen together. You take the water and you put it 
on the person in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit goes to work. He lays claim. He brings all his gifts. Among his gifts are faith. Faith isn't what you do. Faith is what God does to you. There'll be days when you don't believe in God. Um, That's okay. God believes in you. There'll be days when you don't love God. That's okay. Um, God loves you. Just don't let it go on too long. Right? So, uh, he loves you. Even I was going to give you, among the things I was going to give you but never give you, is this little quote from St. Augustine that says, even our believing, even our faith, is a thing that God has granted to us. Or it's in the third article, I believe I can't believe. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith, right? So what happens? You bring this little pagan, water, name, forgiveness, faith, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, new life, the guarantee of salvation, and a prompt to live out every good gift in the kingdom of God. All that happens in your baptism. If you get the name, you get God with all his gifts. And there God is for you and not against you. It's everything you need. Why wouldn't you baptize your kid or get baptized yourself? Um, He saved us. This is under third. The thing says third on page 24, second paragraph. He saved us through washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So when you get washed up in the font... You get saved, and you get Holy Spirit, and you get rebirth, and you get renewal. So you're a new person, and then you live it out. Whom he poured out on us generously, right? Lavishly, prodigally, through Jesus our Savior, so that, justified by his grace, we become heirs, little trust fund babies, having the hope of eternal life. You should believe this. This is trustworthy. You should agree. And then, um, what does it indicate? It indicates that every day should start with murder, right? So the first thing you do is get up in the morning and say, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it indicates that our old Adam should in us, by daily contrition and repentance, be drowned and die. You get up in the morning, your first act is murder. You slay everything that is evil. So the very first thing, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you kill your old Adam. Now, as Luther says... He's a good swimmer. He'll be back, right? You kind of go, okay. But anyway, the point is, you wake up in the morning. And this is, you know, it's so interesting because we're also driven by our emotions, right? C.S. Lewis has that famous thing where he says, you know, in the morning your emotions come rushing at you like a herd of wild animals. Okay. But what do you say? You say, well, that's one bit. That's one fact. I wake up this morning. I'm disturbed from my sleep. I wake up this morning, I'm depressed. I wake up this morning, I'm tired, I'm cranky. I wake up this morning, I think the world is against me. You say, I knew that about myself already. But the most important thing is, I've been baptized. So, now remember, we talked about this last time or the time before. Stop talking about yourself, talk about Jesus. So you woke up and said, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, I didn't sleep, I'm worried about my kids, I don't know about my job. My world seems to be falling apart. That's one set of data. Here's the overriding data. Jesus has baptized me, and I belong to him in the kingdom of God. 
Jesus loves me. You see, now we talk about Jesus. Talk about yourself all you want in terms of confession and how horrible you are. But when it's time to play, talk about Jesus. Jesus loves me. Jesus wants me home. Jesus baptized me. Jesus forgives me. Jesus put me into a community. Jesus will stick by me. Jesus sends angels to protect me. Jesus has his body and blood ready for me. Jesus can forgive anything. Jesus is already in hell, kind of keeping me from bouncing off the bottom. And Jesus is in heaven already waiting for me. Jesus, 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 Jesus. This is what you do in the morning. You'll see. Do it about a thousand times and then get back to me. Sometime in 2024, I'll be looking forward. If you do it every day for a thousand days and come back to me, I guarantee your life will be different. And I guarantee I won't be here to redeem the warranty. It's like you get those lifetime warranties from companies that are going to close up next week. That's what I'm offering you here. Okay, so where did you ever hear that? And this is the first thing we did. Romans 4, we were buried... We died with him, we were buried with him, we were raised with him, we're glorious with him, and we have a new life. Okay, that's an hour. Um, And you can see, like, we're just kind of hitting our stride. But if we keep going at this pace, we'll be done sometime, you know, late summer of 23. So, uh, here's the thing. Steal a catechism, take one home. There's 40 of them. I, know every, I was guessing everybody didn't need one, but we can get you a catechism. Take a Bible if you need one. Um, next week, we need to talk about the Ten Commandments. Now, partly what, uh, this is just a little, little, just a little precursor for you, right? Um, let me pregame you a little bit so Pastor Kendall can be ready. One, two, three, Ten Commandments, Law or Gospel, what do you say? Law or Gospel, Ten Commandments. Come on, some of you are Lutherans, you know the answer. What is it? Yeah, that's the problem with you Lutherans. Okay, so uh, the Ten Commandments are the gospel before they're the law. I mean, here's the thing. Hey, y'all are slaves in Egypt. You're like cattle. They don't care about you. They're working you to death. You've been here for 400 years. You got no gods. You got no land. You got nothing. But, hey, I love you. So we're going to go across the Red Sea and into the promised land. And when we get there... I'll be your God and you'll be my people and I'll give you my name and I'll, I'll meet you every week and I'll serve you at the liturgy and then you go home and don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't be envious of your next door neighbor and love your kids and respect your wife and live with a pure heart and it's going to be great! And every Lutheran says, oh yeah, that's the law, that's horrible stuff. And you wonder why the church is so messed up, okay? So, now Kendall will be here next week to straighten all that out, and then after, we'll take a week off for Thanksgiving, where you can, you know, be complete gluttons, and then we'll come back, and I'll forgive you for that, and then we'll talk about the law some more, okay? All right, all right, I love you, let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom, and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Pastor Kendall, next week, we teach them to make the sign of the cross and tell them why it fits in the liturgy and where. Three minutes or two, but just so I realize I haven't even talked about that. All right, love you all. Uh, be safe. Call us if you need us, and uh, you know we'll repent of this and come back next time. Cheers. <laughs>